I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rule the Roost. Jack and Raj here, Raj and Jack, whichever way you want to put it. Um, is that that's a better intro, right, Raj? Perfect. Equal billing. I like that. Yeah, equal billing. Equal billing. Um, let's let's jump. Let's dive straight into the football today, shall that we? That does make it sound like I've kicked off off air about the fact that you like introduce yourself <laughs> and then me afterwards. I'd just like it to be said that like, you, you've done that of your own accord. Y- yeah. What? Well, I mean, you kicked off on air the other week, so you know, I'm, I've <laughs> I've got I've got to you know play. Play careful by by this monstrous ego that I'm dealing with week in week out. You know, that's true. Podzilla, there we go. That's what mm. I'll I'll call you. No, mm. it's not going to catch, is it? Yeah, uh, I feel like somebody will have probably already called themselves Podzilla in like America, but it's like a a Fox News thing, and they're speaking truth to power and what have you. <laughs> or it's or maybe like one of those. Lad food, you know, like with a with an enormously fat guy with a beard, like a Poundland Action Bronson type guy that reviews like. You mean True Jody? <laughs> that uh, reviews chicken wings and stuff like that. It's the yeah. kind of thing where you could imagine calling themselves Podzilla. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever? Uh, you watched that bloke, didn't you? That is he blue van man that I sent you that time. That lad from like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good that. Eats Burger King and he's just just somebody's dad. In, in a van eating food and just giving it the most sort of wholesome <laughs> reviews possible, but it's weirdly entertaining. Because I think you sent me one, and I was like, "What the fuck's this?" And you're like, "No, no, 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 just, just give it, give it a second, give it a couple, watch a couple of them." And uh, yeah, it's 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 oddly, um, it's almost got an ASMR quality to it in a bizarre <laughs> way, um, a bizarro ASMR. Uh, there's so there's so many different YouTube rabbit holes that there is to fall down. Like in the height of lockdown. Um, back when like sleeping patterns and stuff had gone, and we weren't entirely used to being hermits, um, so like a year ago now, essentially, I got really into washing watching people wash cars professionally. Really? So like, yeah, for like for like two hours a night between like two and four a.m., I'd just watch this guy in Canada detail cars, is is what they call it. I don't understand what detailing means. Essentially, cleaning, but like. He'd over carpets and it'd be mucky as fuck and like people would come and they'd have like half McDonald's down back seats and like I'd be thinking like before I took it into these people I'd at least give it like a cursory clean so they don't think I'm a complete fucking tramp. But these guys didn't care and just like rocked up with the most disgusting cars you could ever imagine and like it'd be like, oh, you can tell these people have smoked because it's in the upholstery and like just watch this bloke use all of his different hoovers and tools and just oddly satisfying to watch this absolute shit heap roll up and then him clean it and it go back fairly uh fairly neatly um, but there was this one woman this uh this goliath of a woman um <laughs> who uh had kids and stuff and they're just clearly given up on life and, and any self-respect 
she had like he, he went oh I think this is the dirtiest car we've ever had and like two months later she was back again and it was as bad as it was before and it can't be cheap to have this bloke spend his entire day cleaning your fucking car so to get it in that state again ridiculous but yeah um, I can't remember what it's called or anything I haven't watched it for some time but um, it did as you were just saying random shit you watch on YouTube that did just spring to mind horseshoes was one of mine have you ever watched any of those blokes changing horseshoes changing them yeah so they clean out the feet they clip them and then like change it's it's oddly mesmerizing yeah don't know why the youtube algorithm takes us to uh to weird and wonderful places it really does um Anyway, football. 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 Tottenham won last night. We beat Dinamo Bucharest. Um, that's not them. Dinamo Zagreb. Zagreb, that's the one. All the, all the same, in it. All the, no, I didn't, but that yeah. just <laughs> revealing my inner... Uh, inner Farage. Becoming more outward by the day. Yeah, Farage. But uh, one of them lot from over there. No, that, you know, Dinamo Zagreb. I, I was scared. Like, I was scared. Like I was going to say it again. <laughs> it's not like you did a podcast or anything about it, Jack. I know exactly. Spoke to like a reputable Croatian football writer, everything like that. But uh, oh Christ, Jesus, state of me, state of me. Well, it's, it's you know, it's what Britain is now, mate. Like, <laughs> you get I, thrown in jail for saying you're English. That's it. <laughs> I'll send my own dad back. Um, what do you call it? Um, aren't Dinamo Bucharest like not allowed to call themselves Dinamo? Or is that Stour Bucharest? There's one of the Bucharest teams that have like been wound up and like had all their name and branding and everything. The one that um, Gigi Picardi owns, I think it's Stour. Oh yeah, it? there is something bizarre like that, isn't there? Yeah, they've had to call themselves somewhere else, but it is. I think it is Stour, isn't it? Um, but yeah, we don't need to talk about Bacali after you've uh, you've gone full Bacali there. <laughs> Uh, Dinamo Zagreb, on the other hand, they were as as Uri told me the other day. They were no pushovers at all. No, really well organised. I think it was, without meaning to be disrespectful, it was like playing you know Burnley style team. So they'd probably finish what mid table towards the relegation place in the Premier League. Probably they wouldn't be a complete waste of space, but they're not not terrible either. Um, and they had a they had a few chances going forward as well, but I think it was a a missed opportunity a little bit to to not have a few more. There was a couple of chances to to really finish the game off, and I, I quite enjoyed Glenn Oddle saying that at half time because usually he's quite docile and gentle, but he was kind of like, no, just fucking end the tie now, lads. <laughs> Don't yeah. bother with the second leg, and uh, that's quite nice from him. But um, yeah, it's a decent performance. Harry Kane being Harry Kane, uh, Delhi played well. Um, Tangy was brilliant, even though they kicked the living shite out of him for ninety minutes. They but were yeah. dirty, weren't they? Oh yeah, they were. They were. They were uh, considerably um, contentious in the way they made their challenges. I was. I mean, one of the main talking points: how the fuck was that not a penalty? Ridiculous. It, but it, but genuinely, it's not even like I didn't even think it was contentious when I saw the replay. I was like, well. That's going to get flagged and VAR's going to call it back and it's going to be well, a penalty. Well, I was sat there just thinking, oh, I wonder how long it'll take before VAR pulls this back. And yeah. the play kept going on. I was like, oh, this is going to be a bit silly now that they've played three minutes. And then nothing ever happened. I'm like, what's the point of it existing? Because like nobody tweeted anger about it, at least on my timeline, like immediately. Because I think everyone was in that same position of, 
oh, the ref's missed that, but VAR will catch yeah. it and then we'll have a pen. Because it's like, obviously a penalty. And like three minutes went and everyone went, are we not getting a penalty for that? And it was just, uh, yeah, it was fucking mental. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. And is there much more to say about the game, really, other than Harry fucking Kane, once again? He delivers, doesn't he? Every time, I think in the Europa League as well, like, we kind of play him when we want a guaranteed win. It's almost like having a cheat code. Yeah. Like, if we if we want to make a game out of it, we'll play Vinicius. But otherwise, like, Harry's going to start and, and sort of um, dash people aside. And he, he was brilliant last night. He was absolutely everywhere and... You know, had had the the final ball into him been a bit better, he'd have had a couple more, I think. Especially if if he'd had the penalty hat trick and wrapped it up, that would have been fine. The uh, the knock to him at the end was slightly worrying, but I don't think there's a cat's chance in hell of him not playing at the weekend. I think uh, credit to Mourinho for just slinging him off straight away, getting his knee iced, and uh, I think he'll be right as rain. I don't unless there's something seriously the matter with him that they pick up now. I reckon it'll, it was just a knock and it'll be fine. You know, there's a there's a funny there's a funny little bit of me that thinks that like you know Harry's probably like well, my knee sort of aches a little bit and Mourinho's sort of saying like get ice on it and make sure he sits out here and it's mm-hmm. iced in front of all the cameras and everyone can talk about it ahead of the derby and it can create that narrative that Kane isn't going to be fully fit for the dub. I know it sounds ridiculous, and I'm like that meme of the guy from that American program that I can't remember the name of, pointing at the conspiracy chart he's got on his wall. Oh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, but I just I cannot help but think there's that little bit of Marina where it's not some grand Machiavellian plan. Machiavellian, I get my words out. Um, but the, the, there might just be that bit of like, just let him ice his knee on the touchline so all the cameras see it. And but it he's done it before this season, it. so it's not it's not as if you're you're um, you're being conspiratorial about it. Like I remember before that six one at Old Trafford, he said Son's going to be out for a considerable amount of time, and like I, I took him out my fantasy team and all that sort of shit. Like we're like oh, two three months before he's back at least. The guy we're playing the next game and he was fucking fine. So he does do this sort of shit, and because he's a bit old school, he he does try and pull the wool over a little bit. And I, I imagine he does, like, even though the lads will be in training, he's one of them that will probably have a word with the photographers and stuff when he's like, no pictures of Harry this week, lads. No pictures of Son. Because there wasn't any before, yeah. like, the Old Trafford game. Like, that wasn't an accident because usually that's guaranteed likes and retweets and clout for him is p- stick a picture of Son on. So I imagine, like, the social media manager gets a knock on his door from Sacramento or something going... Jose says no pictures of Harry this week, and uh, you know that sort of thing happens. So it's um, it's not it's not the craziest idea in the world, but the same way I don't think any Arsenal fans or Arsenal themselves are in any doubt that uh, he'll be playing and starting at the weekend. I just I love I think the main thing about Harry Kane really, just because let's talk about Harry Kane a bit more, is. <sighs> We've just seen in the past couple of games in particular that he just he just has absolutely everything. And, I, you know, it is quite right that there is going to be a lot of talk about a player like Erling Haaland at the moment who has achieved brilliant things already. You know, 20, 20 Champions League goals, is it? Already in 14 appearances or something ridiculous like that? And Something robotic. Yeah, like he's 21 years old. Like, he looks like he's got it all. But this whole... The whole narrative of 
you know, the baton is being passed from Messi to, you know, Messi and Ronaldo to Haaland and Mbappe. I think for a start, it completely undervalues Lionel Messi at the mm-hmm. moment, who is still <laughs> going to be an unbelievable player for a good few years to come. I yeah. don't I don't understand the haste to write him off yet by any stretch. But it's yeah. just the next best thing, isn't it? People yeah, exactly. need without without both of them at the peak of their powers, they need another narrative to propel the sport along and to hang their hat on and Haaland and Mbappe maybe both could move to new clubs this month, so not this month, this year, sorry. So if they end up both say say one of them ends up in like um Madrid and the other one somewhere else massive, then it's it's fu- like one of them will definitely be in the Premier League. Highland so City's the big one, isn't it? At the moment, a lot of people are talking about. So yeah, and yeah, if anyone can afford Mbappe as well, so it's, it's it depends. It's um, it's a big one. It is a big one, but I mean, it, just with Kane, yeah, we've seen him put in a pretty complete performance against Palace that was topped off with that just the rocket he's hit into the top corner, but mm-hmm. not just a rocket, you know, like you said last week, it's, it's guided. It's like a guided missile, isn't it? Really? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not just twatted it. Um, but then this week, you know, this performance last night, poacher's goal for the first one and to a degree of poacher's goal, but just, he's that type of presence in the box where, the defender, his name eludes me, but the defender who was playing for Zagreb had had a pretty flawless game. He'd been a been a bit of a warrior at the back for them. He just yeah. had one little fuck up, and Kane was just there, pounced on it. But it, it didn't stop there, right? Like he he pounced on the opportunity, but then just that little roll back, and then the roll forwards, and then just slotting it through his legs right into the corner of the goal. Just the fact he just does this stuff instinctively now, mm-hmm. it's just, it's unbelievable. And I mean, do you think we, do you think there's been, because I've definitely been guilty of this myself, do you think there's been sometimes a bit of a hasty assumption that Kane is only as good as he is because he trains really hard? There, there often seems to be a, a hesitancy to suggests that Kane is actually naturally gifted, if you see what I mean, that he's only somebody that's a product of hard work. But you seem to see more and more that he has these flashes of absolute brilliance. I think, like, that's not just some workhorse. That's not just some formulaic, robotic thing that he's doing. Like, he has these flashes of, like, actual inspiration of brilliance. Yeah, um, the thing that... I always think about when I think about how good Harry Kane is and the fact that it's not really an accident and that it is a probably a perfect marriage of natural ability and um and hard work and when I when I mean natural ability as well I think for him it's probably more the physical side of the game rather than um actually his touch or his vision or anything like that I think that's probably what is god given um being strong, being fast, keeping on top of his size and weight and being ripped and all that sort of shit is the stuff that he probably has to work on more than he does, you know, the actual football inside of his game. But the thing I always remember is um, back when Jermaine Defoe was at the club, he was asked in like an interview, probably one of those tubes interviews or whatever, soccer aim type and, you know, teammates sort of shit, who's the best finisher at the club? 
and he said Harry Kane, and this is before anyone really knew who Harry Kane was. He was just you know rattling him in for the youth team before he probably even went on loan anywhere. And people kind of just thought, oh, that's a, a kind thing for him to say about this young up and comer. But Jermaine Defoe's not the type of character to like needlessly hand out a claim. Like if he was, if he so felt that it was himself that was the best finisher at the club, he probably would have said so. He's got that sort of self confidence. But the fact that he he could see and single out somebody like Kane, and I think somebody like Jermaine Defoe is is um, not getting the credit he's he's probably due for how intelligent a footballer and finisher he is, uh, because there's no no way you play as long and, and score as many goals as as he has done in his career wherever he's gone without knowing that role and that responsibility inside out, and I think that was sort of a a telling thing, and that's something I always my mind always goes to because. He, he, there's something about him that just, yeah, he's, he's God-given and he's born and he finds corners and he knows, you know, where to go and how to manipulate people. And he's really good at at sort of um, using his body and shaping his feet and stuff to send defenders the wrong way and and make the most of what he's got because it's not always, he's not always going to beat somebody for pace or for strength or anything like that, but he'll do things intelligently around the ball and in and out of possession that will give him the space and time needed to, to finish in the way he does. And it's it's quite great to see. Like you say, that finish in the box last night might have looked easy because he was only, what, five to ten yards out or whatever. But he had somebody to beat. Most people would have just clattered it first time and been blocked, but shifted it left and right, made some space, made sure he had a gap between somebody's legs so the keeper couldn't see. And the end of the day, the, the the ball was like sort of fairly central when it went over the line, but keeper had no idea where it was going, couldn't really get to it because it was hit so cleanly, and the defender was at sixes and sevens, and none of that's happened by accident. He's now fifty-two goals, fifty-two goals away from matching Jimmy Greaves's record. I mean, that's a season and a half. It depends how many. If he gets ten more this season, it's conceivable it could happen next year. It's crazy, isn't it? If, if it? if it's not next year, it is definitely the year after, barring disaster. And disaster is, is serious injury or him leaving the club. Because it's one of those things, growing up, seeing kind of, you know, when you'd look at the history of the club on Championship Manager or whatever, it's always been Jimmy Greaves' name there. And I never thought I'd get touched. No, exactly. Never in a million years did I think it was going to get... I thought it was one of those like antiquated records that we'd have to... You know, like record attendances when they used to be in the, like 110,000 when yeah. people could just all pack into a stadium kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of rejigged how you would measure a record attendance, probably after the Taylor report and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I now remember because we spoke about it on the, uh, <laughs> on the pod the other week and I'd forgotten the name of it. But uh, yeah, I kind of thought it might fall into that, that they might do some kind of Premier League era top scorer type thing. But the fact that Harry Kane in the modern era is close to, you know, the fact he scored over 200 goals now is frankly astonishing. Um, the other thing, the thing that I think we're overlooking as well is these are records that are usually broken by people fairly long in the tooth. Uh, he's 27 years old. He'll be 28 in July. 
he'll have that record if he carries on the way he is by the time he's 30. If he stays at the club for as long as we hope he does and is as good for as long as I said he, he could be the other day, say he plays till he's 34, 35, which I, I think he's, you know, could well do, he couldn't put another 100, 150, if not 200 on top of this in that time. His scoring might slow down slightly. It might not if he becomes like a, a true number nine and, you know, fucks the number 10 stuff off and just goes, you know what, Tottenham are a club now where you can put people around me to put it on a plate and I'll fucking finish it. Like, this record's not just being beaten. It's not like he's going to be two or three ahead of it. He's smashing this record and he's eclipsing it to the point where, you know, whoever's going to come along next, the the next hurricane when we're in our 70s and 80s and there's finally a kid that, that might do it, probably his kid or something that comes around and, and looks like he might get off to that sort of a start. It's going to be a harder job beating Harry Kane's record than it ever was Jimmy Greaves's. No, it's going to be Dane Scarlett, mate. Trust. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to put too much pressure on him too early, but he does uh, he does excite me. Yeah, he does look decent, doesn't he? Um, I just, I mean, Harry Kane, it's, it's... I've been trying to sort of shift my focus a little bit in the past couple of weeks, really, maybe. Past few months, I think it's maybe been formulating in the back of my mind, but... You know, I do want to obviously, quite obviously, see Tottenham win major, major honours. Um, and it doesn't mean that my first to one day see Tottenham win a Premier League or a Champions League. You know, one of, we're talking one of the real huge things in the game. Before, before I, you know, depart from this mortal coil, it would be great to see Tottenham lift one of those things, obviously. Yep. But... There are things like this that, you know, whether it does lead to that or not, you know, whether Kane does really achieve everything that he maybe deserves in our shirt, at least. I just think, like we've sort of touched on before, with Tottenham, right? We've won a few things in our time, like across the history of the club, but we've only won the league twice, really, you know, and we've, we've always been kind of seen as a cup team, which is great. You know, we, it is good to win cups, but we do, you know, we do have to derive our pleasure from elsewhere as a fan base. And it's all well and good that when we kind of, we have all these moments, these memory, like, you know, memory laden kind of on this days and things like that. And we remember things like the moments that the Etty had, and we remember Ginola's goal against Barnsley and, you know, whatever, there's there's plentiful moments that at the time it would be so miserable if everything was just caveated by, but we didn't go on to win anything, you know? And I just think things like this, like what Harry Kane is doing, this idea that like, oh, you know, we, we, he had, his ankles are made of glass or he's not really scoring. Like when he does go through those lulls, that are seldom and they're very short, but people's memories are so just quick to forget everything that he's given us and everything that he represents and everything that he's still yet to probably give us. Like, I just think maybe it doesn't matter if it, if it leads to something more than just the fact that we literally have a guy from our academy that scores fucking loads of goals 
loves scoring against Arsenal, has scored not just tap-ins like people always beat him with, like has scored some some of the genuinely best goals I've ever seen a Tottenham player score for us. Mm-hmm. Just drinking every fucking second of it, like because like you've said, it might be you, it might never happen again, or it might be by the time you or I are in our seventies, eighties, or you know if God is willing, we get that far, you know, it's that you might just be witnessing something that is a once in a lifetime phenomenon, a a player that is this good, this prolific. And he is prolific. Mm -hmm. He is so prolific. Like, I think if you, if you consider somebody like Harland, who is like one of the most talked about prospects the fact he even gets bracketed in the narrative alongside Messi and Ronaldo shows you kind of whether I like him or not, whether we agree with it or not, shows you the type of player he is. We can all see what a phenomenal talent he is. Yet, Kane is scoring comparable numbers to this guy. Like, these players don't come along all the time. You know, just... Yeah. I don't know. I, I Here's the thing as well. His, you know, he made a few appearances in that Sherwood season towards the end of the year <clears throat> that Sherwood kind of dines out on and claims he, he created him and what have you, but it's all bollocks. His first real season was that first Pochettino season in 2014-15 where he played 34 games and scored 21 goals. We're fast approaching that being a decade on from there now. We're 2021, so it's three years. We, that, that, that first season doesn't feel six, seven years ago, but it is. Um... And we're probably, what, halfway, if not past halfway through what is going to be Kane's period at Spurs and, uh, you know, probably in his peak now. So this is um, this is something that's going to be gone before we know it and before we can really appreciate it. We're going to be, we're going to be talking about latter-day Harry Kane, you know, in the blink of an eye. So it's one of those things, like you say, you've got to... You've got to savor and take stock for because it isn't the perfect storm around it doesn't come around very often and you know touch wood and god forbid it, it, it don't happen but you know he goes down last night clutching his knee there's not stopping that being a cruciate or something like that or an acl and, and being a, a career shortener if not a something that you know severely dampens the 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 the, the long-term prospect of how long he can play or if he comes back the same player and all that sort of shit. And we know his ankle's a dog shit, but those injuries never seem to really dampen how good of a player he is. But, you know, we've, we've seen the Shearers and what have you come back from a couple of those, but it's not guaranteed. So you kind of just got to enjoy it while it's here because we've, we've, we've all supported this club for all of our lives. And, you know, unless you're very long in the tooth. Um, you've not really seen anyone or anything better than this. And, and we're fast approaching a point now where I truly believe he's one of the leading people in the conversation for greatest player in the history of the club. And I tweeted somewhat flippantly last night, but it was had an awful lot of truth in it from, from my perspective, which was... Um, you know, when we build the statue of him, do we put it outside of the main entrance or do we put it outside the, you know, the stand we name after him? But, you know, and people replied going, what do you mean stand? Do you mean stadium? And it's just sort of like, that's the sort of figure he is for us. He is, he will be the one mythologised and spoken about. And I think 
I still think, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, but I still think you put this best when you said or tweeted, Harry Kane's going to be the player that our kids and grandkids hate us for because no matter who comes along and who they try and tell us is the next best thing, we're forever going to be going, oh, it's no Harry Kane. Right. <laughs> it, it, it is so, isn't it? The same way that our like, parents now and what have you be going, oh, hoddle this, hoddle that, and you know all that sort of shit, Lineker, Gascoigne, and all that sort of bollocks. That's going to be who he is for us going forward. And there's still an element of it now, like when... I do it. I did it the other the other podcast. You were like, "Oh, Mbappe is brilliant," and I was adamant in my you know borderline gammony way. No, original Ronaldo was better. But I'm only saying that really because he's my link to my youth, and that's my you know one of the players that made me fall in love with the game. I don't have that same emotional response with Mbappe. And if I sat and analysed it, it might be a a closer conversation than what I think. But the emotional response, uh, football's a pastime. It's not. It's not a spreadsheet and it's not fucking charts and all that shit. And there's an element of that because, it, you know, you can look at things in that way, should you so please. And there is some, uh, some, you know, some use and value to that. But it's not, it's not really what the majority of people are in this for. It's not what the majority of people play this for or watch this for or spend so much money and time in, in it for. It's... It's a pastime and it's a, a place we, we look to for joy and for memory and for, you know, you know, just just light in our lives. And, and he's one of those people that has provided that perhaps more than any other. And, you know, we, we have weird relationships with players and they're, they're tied in with certain parts of our lives and certain, you know, periods and, and memories and you know for me high school was defined by Berbatov and and Robbie Keane and stuff like that because I, I still remember to this day being sat in lessons and poking holes in in my school jumper so that I could stick my thumbs through them so that when I went out and played football at lunchtime I could look like Berbatov and stuff like that and it's sad but those are shit that are meaningful. I remember being crestfallen, heartbroken when he left, and you know not getting over it for a while. And then when he's played, and subsequently like come back for testimonials and shit, you get over it as you get older. And you kind of you watch his YouTube highlights now, and you went, "Oh fuck, that was fun, wasn't it? He was he was outrageous at times." And that's what this is. It's just it's memory making, it's enjoyment, and uh, it's the same same sort of thing we did when when Bale came back because we we all had that heartbreak and that annoyance and sort of, um, you know, being a bit sullen about the fact that he'd left and we didn't get to enjoy him because he'd gone to Madrid. But he's come back now and, I, you know, to the point where, like, last night I had my iPod on and I was, our last falls asleep and I can't get to sleep. I put my iPod on and watch it in bed. I was watching Gareth Bale highlights from, like, some something came up, as we were speaking about earlier, the YouTube algorithm, like, his 25 best goals in La Liga. I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I'd never really paid all that much attention to him while he was at Madrid other than the big games. Let's see a few crackers against fucking Elche and stuff. And the man's outrageous and he was brilliant there. And I kind of sat there watching it like, why the fuck would you want to get rid of him? But this is, I mean, the wider point I'm just making is it echoes yours essentially is that we watch this for fun and we watch this for enjoyment and, and we watch it out of love, which, um, might sign a, sound a bit. This means more, but it, it is truthful. It's it's something that we can't can't really deny. And uh, you know, people who don't get and understand and invest as much in football as as people, as people like we do, 
they might find it a bit overwrought and a bit much, but but I do think it is that. Um, and and there's nothing wrong with actually giving people who who give us that back um, their dues and and celebrating them not only post their career but during it. And there's thing at the moment about giving people their flowers while they're still here and. I think Harry Kane more than deserves his, and and uh, we are we we know we're watching something special. We're watching something historical. We should just um, kind of sit sit back and 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 take as much of it in and retain as much of it as we can before they're uh, before they're consigned to history in YouTube highlights. With this in mind, fucking for once, Tottenham fans, please. Vote for him to be our fucking player of the season. The fact the man's only won it once is an absolute fucking disgrace. Uh, no Pierre-Emile Hoybiers, none of this bullshit. It's Harry fucking Kane by a country mile. He's our player of the season. Vote for him. I'm going to tell you what to do because <laughs> I'm a podcaster <laughs> and we're, we're a special breed. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um. Oh, mate, it's uh, it is exciting. It's good that you've made that connection for uh, to Gareth Bale as well, because we have a particularly spicy game this weekend that needs a little introduction. Are you as excited as I am about seeing Kane and Bale now in flying form, heading into a North London derby? Two men who historically absolutely love this fixture and love getting one over Arsenal and probably two players who fully just get the the rivalry I would say yeah because um after I watched the aforementioned 25 best goals in the league or I watched all of his uh, Premier League goals before he came back and uh yeah there's there's a shitload against Arsenal in there and uh they're not half bad either like there's the the free kick when he was like eighteen, his first um, first start at White Hart Lane. Was... I think that was his first goal for Spurs, was it? No, oh, no, no, Fulham. No, Fulham, he Fulham yeah. yeah, yeah, Fulham was the first one, but yeah, his, his first goal at White Hart Lane. That was back when, like, you know, when we were shitter, they would um, they would just they'd put an off London derbies at weird times, wouldn't they? Like, yeah. um, it would be like the second or third game of the season, or there'd be one that would. Uh, I remember a Boxing Day one once, and that just never happened now because they wouldn't get the the TV views that they want. Like this is, they, I, I'm sure whenever they do the match, um, whatever match fixing I'll call it because it probably fucking is, um, 
they do it with this in mind because they'll go, oh, that'll be a good Super Sunday or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's sort of a shitload of them against Arsenal and not always in like memorable games and, and ones that were, um, were, were, you know, went our way. But he, he always turned up, he always played well against them and I think I'll be up for it, he kind of knows. And it's such a shame that there'll be no fans in the ground. I mean, it's not really going to make a difference for the Emirates, but if the away <laughs> fans were there, then it would have been... It would have been brilliant, and that's that's one of the, I think one of the only tinges of disappointment about this period is that we've kind of we've lost a season and a half of Son and Kane and Bale's comeback. Like, if there's one one big reason to keep him next year, even if it's you know put the put aside that he's you know obviously fucking brilliant and that he's he's pretty much earning that second year with his performances if he if he so wishes let him play in front of a fan base again because if he's enjoying himself this much in, in empty grounds and he's got that big of a smile on his face imagine what he's going to be like when there's fucking 62,000 people cheering him on and, and actually adoring him and he's not getting fucking whistled by twats like he's yeah it's just that, that's a an unavoidable thing, but it's sort of... We yeah, need that am... big chorus of Bread of Heaven, the Gareth Bale yeah. version, isn't it? That's what, yeah. you know, it's just missing, isn't it? That, oh, um, I mean, I'm oddly confident. I don't even think it's oddly confident. I'm I'm really quite confident going into this one, and maybe maybe I shouldn't be, but it's just, it's just how I feel, Wedge. It's just how I I'm, feel. I never am. Ahead of these games, and I seen a stat the other day that um, we haven't beaten them three times in a row for like a, a stupid amount of time. Um, so I am uh, I am somewhat concerned by this, and we've we, and that, that is slightly um, slightly massaged because we've played them twice at home in a row. But it does it's more difficult, and it does mean more doing it on their patch. And, you know, we've got no better better opportunity to be doing it. The team is playing fantastically well. I mean, they've they've come back into a little bit of form, but there's there's nobody really in their team that I would be jealous of or that I'd really want to take immediately. I like Saka. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm not... He's not getting into our first 11 straight away, I don't think, unless he's playing... He's, he wouldn't even play left-back, would he? What, as like a makeshift right-back? Like, he's... He's not getting another Son or Bale or anything, so it's, you know, it's one of them. It's We should be beating this team. We are, we have the better players. We have the better manager. Um, we should, should be able to do it. And that's, that's the, that's the concerning thing with Spurs is often when we should, we don't. <laughs> um, and this is kind of a, I think this, this had, be a real underlining of of the past month's form because a lot of detractors and people you know right there wrongly have just gone it's all right you've got this good form now but who have you played and there is an element of truth in that and now we're playing somebody who is around and about us in the league away from home we should if this form is true and we are as good as we are trying to be we should win this game of football and um I'd like to see it. It's just, uh, yeah, I've, I've never been confident about these games. Even, well, even it, though we're brilliant, I just, um, and, and even though we've we've done far better in them in recent history than um, than we ever have done before and, and stuff, it's just, um, I'm never, 
I never feel uh, I never enjoy these games until they're finished. Well, it's funny, isn't it? There is almost that like, even though we're the older club, there is that sort of funny younger sibling dynamic. I think I still think it haunts City sometimes when they play United. You know, there's obviously games when City just show up and they are just miles better than United and slap them about, but. Just like the the latest Manchester derby, there's still that... I don't know whether it's like some sort of footballing PTSD where you just remember everything that they've done to you in the past and you remember how dominant they've been at one point that it just... Whether this manifests in whatever club DNA, whether you choose to believe that or not. Because, I mean, for the past, especially under Pochettino's reign, we have been, in my opinion much the better team than Arsenal for on balance probably the last kind of six seven years maybe and the fact we've still not really beaten them as comprehensively as we probably should have done on many occasions even the games we have beaten them have always been a bit of a struggle the only the only sort of game where I really remember it being not nervy at all was the last last North London derby in the old White Hart Lane. The 2-0. Yeah, when we just we just weren't giving them a sniff and they weren't getting anywhere near us. And, you know, right, it was only 2-0, but we were just so much better than them that, that day. Um, and pr- probably, to be fair, this season we were we dealt with them quite comprehensively. But, you know, I think they are... I, d- I don't know, like, like, like you say, I'm just... I'm in a place where I sort of look at them and I think, they do have dangerous players, and mm-hmm. they do have players that can annoy you, like someone like a Bamiyang, a Lacazette. You know they can always pop up with a goal, but really, <laughs> if it wasn't for and I, you know, I know this is one of those things where you're going to jinx it, but like because it, it, the team I'm about to mention have done that to us in the past, but I sort of look at Arsenal as a bit of a in terms of personnel, not narrative a bit of a West Ham at the moment. Like, I don't really think they're that good at all. And I think their league position and the type of results they've had this season show that. I think yeah. they're, well, the, they're the just not very good. The between the two clubs are on and off the field is getting bigger. There was that thing that was released the other day that you shared as well that was sort of just even though we've had nobody in our ground and haven't had the events and shit that we should have done that we touched on previously and the sort of the economics and the size and the, the one that really got me that I hadn't really thought and had you had you even made me guess I wouldn't have thought would would be that way around is the commercial value of both clubs we're just we're, we're walking away from them at quite a, a, a pace and it is like um like you say that the, the they are becoming more of a West Ham in stature to us. But there's a danger in that because if they want the game more, and this this might be a bit proper football, man, but I think there is an element of it. Yeah, of course. If we if we start being a bit too blasé about it and thinking we're too too good and not giving the fixture the respect it deserves rather than the team, they can just come and, and want it more and, and, and put a performance together where they beat us and, and they have done it. They they beat City in that FA Cup semi final last year. They've they've had one off good performances against decent teams. And um we just can't allow that to happen. I don't think Mourinho will let that happen either because he uh 
he has a thing against Arsenal as well, which is kind of nice. It was one of those when when we hired him, they really disliked that appo- uh, appointment because it was two things that they properly hated and, and had consistently started getting the better of them. So it's um, it, it does feel like a perfect storm. And, and if I was a neutral, then I'd, I'd probably not have as many doubts over the result of this game as I do in reality. But the, the, I'm, I'm quite superstitious when it comes to football. And especially Spurs, and I don't want to jinx it. I feel like if I just, you know, came in, balls on the fucking table, went, oh yeah, we'll win this three four, we'll mug them off in their own ground, all this sort of shit, we'd get beat, um, and they'd make me look silly, and uh, I don't want that to happen. I um, I kind of, I just want to give give history the the respect it deserves. Gives give this fixture and the unpredictability of it the um, the 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 respect it deserves, and kind of. You err on the side of caution, then then be pleasantly surprised and and happy with the result if if and when it comes on on the weekend. Because, like I say, when I was watching them, Bale highlights back the uh, there was goals in both those two five twos at their place, and by rights we we were the better team and should have won both of them. So, if that can fucking happen, then all can happen. So I'm not I'm not yet in a position where I'm I'm ready to just um, bank on these three points, but. Uh, we should we, we we should make that happen do as as a sort of a wider point i guess and not just focused on this game in particular do do they worry you at all do you, do you think that what we're seeing at the moment in terms of arteta a struggling young manager is he a spanish tim sherwood is he not kind of thing <laughs> is is that perhaps is it is it a bit tunnel visioned? Do you think? Do you think he is actually perhaps building something? Because they do, you know, like we sort of touched on, they do seem to have, um, should we say, a nucleus of talented young players, not far, kind of, you know, not far removed from what Pochettino had when he took over at Spurs with the Mason Bentaleb Townsend Kane type ilk. How are we seeing, like, you know, Saka coming to the fore, Smith Rowe? We've got a few, you know, and Ketier. We've got... I don't buy the Smith Rowe thing, man. I've seen him play for Huddersfield, and he's not all that. He's... Really? Yeah, like, people love him because he's young and plays for Arsenal and, and goes forward and apparently plays in the right way, but I'm not. He kind of, without any disrespect to Bentaleb or Mason or someone like that, he. he he is benefiting from the fact that the players around him aren't as arsed as he is. Um, and as soon as the quality is is matched with uh, sort of enthusiasm, then I don't think he's as, as he will appear as good as he currently does. But um, that's that's just my opinion. So, I mean, are you not that concerned by them then? That in a couple well, of years' time, that- they might be perhaps back not at the very top as they were under Wenger but they will at least be in contention again shall we say I think there's two parts to this the first part to it is that um, we've had probably one of our shittest runs and seasons for quite some time since what last year (laughs) and uh, we're still seven points ahead of them having played the same amount of games Um, so that's one thing Uh, the other thing is I think there's a natural glass ceiling on how good they can be and how ambitious they are as a club due to their ownership um, and essentially, as uh, sad as this is, I think they're just a cash cow for their American investors because 
every penny they make, everything they do is geared towards helping Cronky build his American football ground in, in Los Angeles. And, you know, that side of his interests is more important to him. And they're not, they're almost like a middle child, if not like a accidental child or, or something. They, they, they're not the focus of their ownership. They're not the priority and they're not what, matters most as long as they're profitable and as long as they're competitive then their ownership is fine their ownership isn't and and this is the thing with you know if a fish stinks it stinks on med don't matter how good Arteta is he can't you know squeeze blood from a stone and I, I actually I don't think he is all that good I think he's kind of you know stolen a little bit of shine from Guardiola having been his assistant and stuff. I don't think he's a terrible manager, but I don't think, you know, he's the second coming as many people imagined he, he would be. I think he's probably Spanish really how? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. He's a bit he, he seems to be learning on the job a little bit too much for, for what a club that traditionally of the stature of what Arsenal are perhaps should be beneath them but currently isn't, which kinda of shows you how far they fall and it's um yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about them long term. I think there just will be this this team that treads and is probably okay with playing in the Europa League and wants to snatch a, a Champions League spot every now and again if they can. But because they're consistently not going to be in the Champions League and nobody's going to look at them as a threat for the league title, the very top players aren't going to go to them unless they do what they did with the likes of Ozil and, and pay them astronomically. Um and yeah, it's, they can create maybe a few good players, but is Saka as good as um, Kane is, or as anything like that? I don't think so. As you know, it's they are in a weird holding pattern as a club, and I think they're going to be stuck there for some time until either something serious changes with the ownership, or um, or yeah. Something disastrous happens. Otherwise, I, I kind of I see them existing in this weird um, purgatory for for some time, and um, that's that's sad in some respects because it it would be nice to you know have a more active rival if that makes sense. But in other ways, it's kind of I enjoy seeing them flounder and suffer and bang their heads against the walls, not not really being able to change anything and um you know we, we've we've talked before and i think all spurs fans are aware that the the soul of that club is um is rotten due to the history of it and where they are and where they've come from well and, they're um, rancid mate they're the, they're the original mk dons and they're well, yeah, bent. this is the thing so this is why you know this is why it's, it's probably not the end of the world but you know, if this is happening, it's happening to them. It probably fits in with the the overall narrative of the team, but it's um, it almost feels like we're punching down a little bit now, and that doesn't have the same degree of satisfaction as it as it used to. And it probably just naturally happens. And same way, like like you say, when we beat West Ham, it's kind of like, all right, we're back in your box, we're beating you. It's probably going to become that with Arsenal. Should we continue in the fashion we are doing and? And should they continue in the fashion they do? But it, I will almost miss the uh, the edge of getting one over on them that uh, that has come in the past. And um, I, d- you know, I do still think I, I know what you're saying. I do still think to kind of seal it, 
We've got to get that Premier League, though. We've got to get one to to really kind of be like, right, you lot can fuck off now kind of thing. And then, obviously, I know we'll win one and then they'll say, well, we've won more. But I I think that, to me, is when the tide Even the Europa League or something is... Is uh, more than they've ever won. Really. Do, you, do you know what I think we're gonna? I think we're gonna run into them, mate, in the Europa League. I I'd, really do. I'd welcome it. Do you know what? Oddly, so would I. I've seen a lot of people. Like, I just don't want to ask. I don't think I could take it. I'm like, fucking bring it on. If we're talking about moments in football, yeah, all right, it's high risk, but the reward, the reward of knocking them out or beating them in the final. That's. Oh, I couldn't cut with a final. Fuck that off. Oh, that's, that's too risky. But over two legs, I reckon we can do them. Imagine, just imagine though. Imagine the final against Arsenal and beating them. Yeah, can you imagine losing it though? Them just fucking sneaking one over and it would be unbearable. I. Oh, would, it would be. Would wor- it be as? Would it be as painful as that Champions League final? I was about to say to you, it would be as bad as the Champions League final. Using losing a Europa League final to Arsenal would be as bad as the Champions League final we had robbed from us. But I almost feel like we've experienced that now. It can, I mean, careful what you wish for, better the devil you know. But I'm like, can it, can it get much worse than that though? I don't. Uh. I mean, grief's grief. It doesn't matter how it comes. You're going to experience that's it true. each time. That's true. That's true. If we're gonna, so we touched on obviously Arsenal's ownership there. I think it's probably right that we end the pod. Twenty years of Daniel Levy. Um... <coughs> He's been a, a, a somewhat controversial figure, perhaps unduly at times, um, and perhaps sometimes with, with good reason. But on balance, I think we both definitely say a, a net good, right? Oh, undoubtedly. If you look at where we were when they came in compared to where we are now. I think they picked um, up the club for about 20, 30 mil or something ridiculous. Yeah. Next so to nothing. Now we're looking at an asset worth two billion pounds. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and there there have been missteps in that. There've been some frustrating things, but I don't think I don't think any of that has been done um, through negligence or through uh, a lack of care or want. It's just to get to where we are now. There've always been limitations. We. we you have to walk before you've run. And sometimes he's heard on the, the side of caution perhaps a little bit more than he should. But we've seen cautionary tales in, in the other side that you know show you why you can... Leeds, after, what, 18 years, have only just come back into the Premier League because they tried to do too much too soon. And we've never done that. We've never you know, run into that type, of, um, that type of danger because we've been run intelligently to within into our life and it is frustrating but you know like I say that that that, that those financial statistics that came out in comparison to a club like Arsenal that you that you should imagine should dwarf us shoes on the other foot so there's been a method to the madness and I, I kind of feel like we're um we're reaching a point now with with the training ground there the stadium there and all that sort of shit the NFL deal and stuff whenever um whenever daddy warbucks wants to come and buy us um, where where um, we'll be up for sale if the uh, if the price is right. One of the things, and you know, right, accidental Tory, but on the uh, on the <laughs> on the Times Football podcast, they had a very interesting discussion about it this week about Daniel Levy's time um, at the club, and they were 
glowing about him, really, in general, just talking about how you hear these odd anecdotes about, oh, you know, most most notably from Fergie saying he was worse than his hip operation or something like that, yeah. dealing with him was, or worse than the, a hernia. The Leon, pres- Leon president virtually in tears after the Larice deal. Yeah, and so you do hear these anecdotes, but like what they, what they were talking about is that perhaps... And, well, I would say definitely what he isn't given enough credit for is just what a visionary he has been in the modern game. They were, And they, the, the anecdote they chose was that when you consider that he... All right, Joe Lewis is the owner, but he really is the the, the, the brains behind the whole operation, right, as Daniel yeah, Levy, the, the operation or the day-to-day duties. And what he... When Enoch were first kind of making plays into the sports world what Daniel Levy had tried to do and he probably did it too soon was create the type of thing that you are seeing the likes of Red Bull the City Group do now that you know he'd he'd bought control well not controlling shares but he'd bought large stakeholds in clubs like Rangers in Spurs in uh who's Prague team yeah, Slavia Prague and in Basel as well. Because um, I remember when we got we got one of the Prague. I think we talked about that game the other week. Actually, it was like our first game in Europa League, uh, UEFA Cup back then. And there was like talk that there would be some sort of conflict of interest or something. Yeah, they had money in both teams. I can remember, and so one of the teams was maybe going to have to have a buy or something. And then I think they realised how ridiculous that was. And yeah, but but they what they were talking about was. Um, there was a. I'm not sure who it was that had shared this with them, but they were saying that in the early days, when a young Daniel Levy uh, headed into like this Rangers shareholders meeting, you basically had the old guard there, and then this young guy from London come up and basically sell a vision to them as to how they could take Rangers forward, how they could make them more of a a, a global phenomenon, really. And they just laughed him out of the room, that nobody was interested in what he had to say, that, you know, he was just... They, you know, they just seemed that he was just naive. He was a man with ideas above his station and everything like that. And they said it was kind of... It seemed to be very much a back-to-the-drawing-board for him, that he, number one now, knew that he needed to have a controlling share in... A club, you know, if he wanted to enact his vision, he had to be the guy in charge of it, and so has basically set about not only getting control of Spurs, but then just creating this plan. Which I think, you know, like we always say, when you when you can guess you can apply this to Kane. It's one of those things that I mean, like I guess you can apply what we've been saying about Kane to Levy, in so much as. When you're in the thick of it, when it's happening around you, you can sort of lose sight of everything that's going on and you get frustrated by, oh, we've had to move to Wembley and we're, we're not playing all these games at home and we've not bought anyone in this window. And I'm not I'm not taking away from anyone else's frustration. I've been as fucking pissed off and as, at times, right, maybe Levy does have to go. Maybe he is sacrificing everything that... We're seeing on the pitch, we're seeing this stuff with Pochettino, the sand sort of go through our fingers on this moment kind of thing. But when you reflect on some of these 
these points and you, you really you see what Tottenham were at the start of his stewardship when we were a make weight and also ran in the Premier League. We were a team that would finish, you could bank on us finishing between 15th or 7th place basically, mm-hmm. every single year in the Premier League. We knew what we were. We knew... We'd finish uh, closer to the bottom of the league than yeah. we would to the top of the league in terms of points. And we knew we'd be that team that we weren't going to challenge for anything, but we'd be happy because we knew we'd turn over a Bradford 5-0 or something like that. Yeah. Teddy Sheridan would get a hat-trick and that would be like one of the highlights of the season. And great. And the rest of it would be about just hoping we have an FA Cup run... And failing that, just watching the football with your dad, with your mates, having a few beers, as everyone else enjoys football doing it. But in that, and obviously, in tandem with this, we've got Arsenal winning fucking the Premier League, going unbeaten, winning doubles, doing all this stuff. So now, a point where we are, we're discussing the fact that, and in not that long a space of time, in a, in a relatively short space of time, Mm-hmm. that we have done the seemingly impossible. Okay, Arsenal have had their own share of misfortune, but I don't think this is just about Arsenal being bad. The fact that we have... Uh, and it sounds silly and it sounds modern football to say, but the fact that we are now a global brand. We are, we are literally a brand. We're, we're followed by thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people in places like America, you know? In... Is it when you remember growing up when you go on holiday, like you'd see all the all the kits out, all the um, all the fake kits. And exactly that. Spurs kit. Exactly that. And when I went to Greece in the summer, there's a Kane shirt next to Messi and Mbappe and whoever exactly. else. Exactly. And that it's little things like that that kind of the stature of the club has changed. There's no way you go now, and if people have heard of football, they have heard of Tottenham to a point where, like, when I was in Mexico the year before, sort of. Um, you know, you, you talk to taxi drivers or whatever, you talk to people as you go around and, you know, football's a huge deal there and you sort of ask them, oh, who's the local team? Who do you support? All this all this and that, and that. And then they'll ask you, oh, who do you support? English Premier League? Yeah. And I'll go, oh, Tottenham. And they'll go, oh, I know Delhi Ali or someone like that. They'll have heard of you. And previously, nobody had ever fucking heard of Tottenham. They'll go, oh, Tottenham? Who's that? Like, Man United, uh, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool. Liverpool yeah. They'll have heard of them. But us, us we, we were fuck all and we're not fuck all anymore. We're just not. And really, you've got to hand a lot of that to Daniel Levy. Yeah, massive. I think the other thing is not just um, taking stock of our journey, but I think it's useful to compare our peers because at certain points we have been parallels with other clubs that have been trying to do what we have done and have actually been in better positions to do it. Aston Villa. And have failed. Villa have a brilliant ground, a huge history, fucking failed, disastrous to the point where they've been relegated and are now sort of a newly promoted side. Uh, Newcastle should have done it. They're fucked. Uh, Everton, fucked. Uh, Middlesbrough, to a point, still in the championship. There's Leeds. Leeds, exactly. There's clubs that have come and gone that have tried to be what we have we've become and tried to do what we have done and have failed even a club like Wolves uh, with the weird deals they've got and how they're operating you know and, and it's still expanding Molyneux and stuff they're nowhere near us and they're not gonna be 
um, for for a good long time. Like it just doesn't happen unless you are bought by one of the richest people in the world, like a Man City have been. It just doesn't happen. So it's a huge amount of credit, and I think there's there's still an awful amount of work left to be done. But we are now in a position for the off-field success to be translated to on-field success and it is it will be one of the greatest in a really weird perverse sense it would be one of it'll be one of the the greatest regrets of our lives i think that we we were overachieving and the on-field success almost came too soon along the project but i think that's actually recognized because one of the things that you know in that piece that was in the standard um with the the quote from Perez, the fact that he even alluded to the fact and said, look, what we needed to achieve on field, we just couldn't do because of off-field constraints and where we were at the club with the training ground and with the the ground coming. And the fact that he ends that quote by saying, oh, look, one day we'll want to come back. You can almost tell that a conversation has been had behind closed doors with between Levy and Pochettino, where Levy said to him, look, I would fucking love to give you 200, 300 million to pump into the squad and go and win me a league and go and win me a Champions League. But I've got fucking bank loans to pay on that ground. I've got this training ground to finish paying off. I can't, I cannot do that without risking the fiscal security and long-term you know, future of this club. It, it's going to be worth less with all these debts than it should be and all that sort of shit. And it's almost as if that they understand that because they know where the club is heading and they're like, all right, when you finish doing what the fuck you're doing and when the NFL have played the games and when Anthony Joshua's had his fights and everything's back to normal and you've your bank balance has gone through the roof and you can afford to do what we want to do, we'll come back and we'll take over then. And it's, it's a remarkable, singular, unique job that he had pulled off with us and it, it, it could and should have gone wrong several times in the past and, and probably has come very close to. Um, and I think he's he's got lucky at some points. He got lucky with hiring Pochettino. He's got lucky with how good Harry Kane is. Um, but there's something in there that that aren't luck. The, some of the signings he has made for not a lot of money and some of the stuff he has done for not a lot of money is, is remarkable. And, and um, I think overall, if you're weighing the two and you've got scales, he's overwhelming me being more good than bad and I think you know I understand and share largely the frustrations of people who who want more and and desire for more and I think I would be more upset and more uh, put out if I didn't feel that um, more was on its way but and at the same time you've kind of got to temper that with saying you can't account for Chelsea being bought and doing what they've done and City being bought and done what they've done because that's they, they've bypassed the process and that's why, you know, if you think about it, the, the traditional clubs when Levy bought, big clubs when Levy bought the club were who? Arsenal and Man United? And we are now competing with them directly, if not better than them. And off-field, off-field will never be a Man United just because of the history of the club, but... We're doing as good of a job as it we, we can do. And it's just one of those now where you've got to pay a man his dues. In the same way that 
I said in that other podcast the other week when when people are cutting off the nose despite the face to say that they hate Mourinho and want him gone just because that was their default position before he'd even stepped foot in the club. People are, who've already made their mind up and decided that Levy's a cunt and it's bad for Spurs and you know he's um he's tight fisted and stuff, which has its own problematic racial connotations that you know we can go into if you like or, or can just leave at that. Um is is for them to you know decide it's but I, I kind of I, I know what Tottenham was when I grew up and I know what we are now and I never saw that coming and it wouldn't be here without him so I'm, I kind of I texted you this the other day when we kind of had a, a similar conversation um, when we were just chatting between ourselves and I, I said to you when the day comes that we are bought by somebody else, if you know, if if Levy's choice isn't to go and take his share of his few bill and um, retire on a beach and earn his percentage on top of his accounts like uh, Hans Gruber, then I'd I'd love him to stay on and carry on running the club because I'd actually see like to see what he's like when he's spending somebody else's money and is allowed to run a club with um with the handbrake off a little bit because um. It would actually be be kind of nice to uh, to see him get his dues in in that respect as well. But um, it is what it is. I think when uh, when the history book closes on the Enoch chapter of Spurs, we will uh, we will be far better off for having had them at the club than than otherwise. And uh, I think that we will be um, be somewhat indebted to their period of stewardship as a fan base because um, we'll have enjoyed far more success and far more uh, good and high moments than um, had we stayed with fucking Alan Sugar or something. Poetic, mate. And that seems like a, a lovely place to end. End the podcast on a positive note because it's been a positive few weeks for, for Tottenham and let's hope, it, uh, let's hope it continues. If it doesn't, then we can just shout into the ether again next week anyway. Um, if you have enjoyed the podcast... Please do subscribe. I mean, you should be subscribed anyway. But if you're not, fucking subscribe on everything as well. You've got Spotify. You've got iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is now. Acast, all of them. Just subscribe on all of them, right? Just yeah, dope our numbers. Leave a review on iTunes and stuff like that. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram, Rule the Roost Pod. We might, do you reckon, if it's a good result, we'll do an Instagram live, yeah? On Sunday. On Sunday it's Mother's Day. So oh, yeah. Possibly not. All right, okay. Soft, Sorry. soft, mate. I say, what priorities? Seeing yeah. your mum on Mother's Day, not doing an Instagram live. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, follow us anyway on Instagram. We'll put some stuff on there. Come on, you guys. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.